This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by James Heal and James Johnson, co-founder of JL Partners Polling Company. After investigation into Mark Spencer's conduct, the Prime Minister's ethics advisor has been unable to reach a conclusion over comments he may have made to Nasgani. James, can you give us the details? Sure. Well, as we head into this Easter weekend, I think the last bit of sort of parliamentary action and politics today is about this uh, report by uh, Sorry Magnus, who's Rishi Sunak's ethics advisor, into this um, you know long-running affair about whether Mark Spencer, who's the farming minister, but back then in 2020 was the chief whip, made Islamophobic comments towards his fellow Tory MP, Nuzgani, uh, who is now a minister in the trade ministry, but back then was sacked in a reshuffle. And so the, the question became, did he suggest that she was sacked because of her Muslim faith? And we have now got this report, which has come out today, and it says that although Sorry Magnus has identified some shortcomings in Mr. Spencer's behaviour towards Nuzgani. Um, no further action is going to be taken because Sir Laurie Magnus could not establish whether he told Nuzgani about, you know, she but she was sacked for her Muslimness or not. So effectively, it's kind of like, you know, he, he, no conclusions here. Rishi Sinax is not going to take any further action. And, and what it, I think it brings to a close is sort of one of those kind of minor battles that broke out last year during all the tensions in the Conservative Party. And I think that really that's, sort of what I think Rishi Sunak will be very grateful for and ha- happy with the result of because, you know, Mark Spencer was a key ally of his, backed him in both the leadership race, uh, races, um, you know, this this obviously bad headlines of the Conservative Party. And I think that is a kind of microcosm of, of what Rishi Sunak's really been doing, which is kind of clearing up a lot of the mess, the mess from previous Conservative leaders and trying to kind of bind some of the wounds that broke out last year. And James Johnson, do you think that this message is coming through that Rishi Sunak delivers competence, that there's no scandals with him? What are the public making of it? And and recently there have been some polls showing that he's closing the gap on Keir Starmer personally. What are voters saying about Keir Starmer as well? Yeah, so when we look at Rishi Sunak's ratings, they have improved over the last few weeks. Um, and we see that come through in the focus groups as well. People saying about how uh, he seems to have sort of be a bit more capable, got some things done, whether it's you know, something they've heard on Brexit or whether it's something they've heard on, on small boats, a sense that he's doing something and he's met t- taking actions and getting things done. It's not a dramatic improvement. Uh, he's still um, in, in quite you know, negative uh, terms in, in some of his ratings, but it, he is polling significantly better than the Conservative Party. And the big change in the focus groups over the last few weeks is that rather than people referring to the government in the present tense as being a disaster and a mess and a shambles, which has basically been the state of play for the last six months, they now refer to that in the past tense. And they talk about Rishi Sunak potentially being the person to fix it. Now, they're not there yet. Um, they don't think Rishi Sunak has you know, quite played a blinder yet, but they are, they are open to the idea that actually there could be this new chapter for the Conservatives. And obviously, if you're a number 10, if you're Rishi Sunak, you're, you're very, very excited by that. The other thing we see in the focus groups is there's still a lot of hesitations about Keir Starmer. We did one for Times Radio this week, and uh, it was pretty brutal. Um, we had somebody call him a slime ball. We had another person call him a creep, which is uh, quite harsh from the uh, from the voters of Great Britain, I think. But we had others talking about the sense that he's like, an, someone said he's like an irritating brother. He's always nitpicking and trying to find fault rather than putting forward his positive vision. 
And this sort of sense that they haven't, the voters haven't fallen in love with Keir Starmer, they don't feel he has a proactive vision for the country, that is also coming into sharper focus in the last few weeks in the focus group. So look, I mean, if you look at those top-line polls, you look at 20-point Conservative uh, Labour leads, you look at uh, what seems to be a very dire picture for the Tories, it's easy to come to the conclusion that perhaps this is all wrapped up. But when we do the focus groups and when we dig into that data, I think things are perhaps a little bit more fluid than they might look. Jay Hill, do you agree as well? I mean, Fraser has often said in this podcast that he can now see a way for the um, Conservatives to perhaps even win the next election. Well, I mean, the big test that's coming up, obviously, is the locals. And that's going to be, I think, when a lot of the kind of rhetoric will, will, will sort of you know meet with the electoral reality. You're going to see MPs who have to go around and console councillors. They'll see long-standing people lose their seats. I mean, there's estimates. I think Michael Rawlings suggests there's going to be about a thousand Tory council seat loss. Look, I think that what James sort of says there in his answer is that, you know, the blame for all the mess and the voters' anger is directed more in the past tense than the present. And I think Rishi Sunak will politically be able to get away with that in the sense that people aren't, you know, they, they recognise what happened with Liz Truss and Boris Johnson. And this is sort of very much a backlash to that. The question is whether he, he can sort of hold that and keep delivering. And I think in some ways, obviously, he came into office and he had significant challenges. And he's had some victories. But I think also now we're going to see the point where you know, he's announced the legislation. He's done the big press conference, stop the boats, etc. Now it's going to be the next point about sort of getting that legislation on migration, which I think will probably be his biggest challenge into law. And, you know, we're going to see a picture in the summer, for instance, where I think the summer will be crucial uh, in terms of then getting into that kind of conference season and, you know, when the, the, the sort of rally around the flag effect. And I think that over the summer, if the small boats don't stop, and we've obviously discussed yesterday on the podcast, you know, the success in, in deterring the number of Albanians coming here. Um, but if they continue from other countries as well, I think that might open up some questions. So I think that, yes, it's going well for him. And I think that, you know, he, he will be able to get through the May elections. He hasn't really got a challenge anymore. You know, a few weeks ago he did Liz and Boris on the cover. That doesn't really sort of exist anymore as a challenge. But I think that that will be really interesting to kind of see how in the kind of June, July, summer months, those questions come to the fore once again. And James Hill again, Peter Morell, Nicola Sturgeon's husband, was released last night without charge. Can you give us some details of what's happened there and what's coming next, do you think? Yes, well, I mean, sort of main developments, obviously, is that Peter Murrell was released after 11 hours of questioning, as reported. Uh, and so there's still sort of police officers outside the, the family home. Today, Nic- Nicola Sturgeon was due to pull, was due to speak at a climate event. And she's pulled out uh, sort of just a few hours before. And luckily, the Net Zero Secretary up in Scotland has managed to fill in instead for her, which is good. But of course, it sort of raises the questions about, you know, you had this great leader in Scotland, sort of totemic figure. And how much will this kind of damage her reputation and sort of cast cast her her leadership in a retrospective light? Um, and it's just a really difficult one. And I, I would just go back to the point that Fraser made. You know, because of the the laws around this, it, we, we could see a farcical situation whereby we're not properly able to discuss this as the cut and thrust of political debate, as we did, for instance, with Partygate, owing to what's happening in Scotland. So we await to see. But I would be fascinated to see the polling that's going to be coming out on the SNP in the coming days and weeks. James Johnson, how's this going to hurt um, the SNP and Hamza Youssef as he's going into his first couple of weeks as First Minister of Scotland? Well, I think a lot of the damage to the SNP has in some ways already been done. Um, uh, you know, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon resigning, frustrations about uh, Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP's record on domestic issues like schools in the NHS. 
and an increasing frustration uh, over um, a focus on independence rather than those things. They obviously also took a bit of a reputational blow over the trans rights uh, argument too. So I don't think this this clearly doesn't help. Um, I think this is going to create more of a view of you know chaos around the SNP, but it's not personally linked to the leader. And uh, I don't think this is going to be something crucial that people or voters are necessarily thinking about in in, in the months and years to come. Clearly, it's going to be pretty bad for Nicola Sturgeon's uh, retrospective ratings, but I don't think that really matters in terms of what comes next. So the big thing now is, are Labour going to carry on closing the gap with the SNP in Scotland? And polls certainly indicate they've done that. If they do, um, that's uh, very bad news for the Conservatives, um, and clearly the SNP lose some of their hegemony in Scotland as well. Um, so I think that's the big question now. You know, Can Labour continue to close that gap and you know put forward a compelling alternative vision for Scotland because then we're in very interesting uh, electoral territory indeed. And can you just remind us where we are in terms of polling in Scotland? Where are the SNP, Labour and the Conservatives? And if, as you say, Labour do catch up with the SNP, how will that change the Scotland's electoral map? So the SNP are around sort of uh, mid to high 30s um, in t- percentage terms. Labour, uh, some polls have them in the low 30s, some polls still have some polls still have them in the high 20s. Conservatives are down on around sort of 15 to 18 percent, depending on which poll, uh, which polls uh, you look at. So they've certainly taken a bit of a blow in line with the national polling uh, across the UK in the last few few weeks. On those current numbers, Labour would gain significant amount of seats. I think John Curtis had it at 20 seats from the SNP if those numbers were replicated in an election. So it certainly does mean that for the first time since 2010, we could be looking at a competitive field for Labour in Scotland. And Labour need every seat they can get. One of the biggest barriers to them getting a majority in the last 13 years has been uh, SNP hegemony holding back the ability for them to make gains in Scotland. So it blows that election even a little bit more wide open if they can sustain that. But let's not count out the SNP yet. You know, I should say, you know, they have been very good at holding on to power. They obviously successfully reinvented themselves after Alex Salmon with Nicola Sturgeon. Voters are pretty open minded. They're still getting used to the new leader. Um, Yes, this is not his best start, but he has also got opportunities to create his agenda and his image for the Scottish public. Um, So good news for Labour so far. But uh, the SNP have a chance to rebuild trust too. James Johnson, James Hill, thank you very much for joining and thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then why not come along to our Coffee House Live Coronation Special event on May the 10th? Fraser Nelson, Katie Balls and Camilla Tomney, Associate Editor of The Telegraph, will be discussing the coronation of King Charles III and what it means for the United Kingdom. The event's from 7pm at the Emmanuel Centre in London and you can book tickets at spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation.